I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to The Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, folks. Uh, Brittany and Nia here recording live on July 26th for our first August release. What? It's August. (laughs) It's crazy. I know. It gets old every time we're like, what? How is that? But seriously, to think that summer is kind of like on its downhill. Yeah. That part sucks. (laughs) I know. Or not. I don't know. I'm ready for my kids to go back to school. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready for like the heat and smoke to be done. Yes. But... So often in Colorado, our fall is so short. It's like hot, 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 hot. Ooh, cool. Like, let's have a little fire and some hot chocolate. Fucking freezing. Well, that's right. I mean, I'm trying to plan this event right now in September, and I'm having trouble getting the dates coordinated with everyone's schedule. And so the caterer is like, and it's an outdoor event, and the caterer is like, well, could we maybe look into October? I'm like, once you cross that threshold into October – It could be 80 degrees. It could be snowing. Totally. Like, you just don't know. And so your risk goes up exponentially. Oh, my God. Yeah. As somebody with an early October birthday, I'm like hyper aware of the shitty weather that I could or could not have on my birthday every year. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. So that's, I get it. Because when we live in a place that has snow up until Mother's Day, like Mm mid-May, I'm constantly sitting there, can't wait till summer. And now that we're in summer and it's so oppressively hot, you're like, oh, I just can't wait for it to cool down a little bit. But like you said, that fall is so short that it immediately goes into full-blown snow. Mm -hmm. Which, important update for listeners, uh, Brittany will notice I'm back in long sleeves. Fuck you. Meanwhile, sweat is rolling down my back as we talk. I want to give a special shout out to our HVAC guy who came in with a temporary solution and is getting me a full-blown new AC this week. Oh, my goodness. You're going to have the most efficient, cold, chilly AC along the front range. Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Why are we still recording this remotely? I don't know. I should know. be at your house. You should. It is perfectly temperatured. I'm coming to your house. Okay, great. We'll pause. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of beef, um, I have oh. some beef with our listeners. Ooh. Scandalous. What's going on? Um, okay, so two episodes ago, we released our episode on UNC and donor power and all of that. It took over 48 hours after release for one of our listeners to tell me that there was a massive audio flub at the end. 48 hours. What was the audio flub? Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I accidentally removed like 30 seconds of your audio and put in the outro (laughs) near the end of it. So it played twice and played fully over whatever I was saying at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. So uh, shout out to the listener who did tell me so we could fix it. And uh, the rest of you eat grass. 
I wonder if they're like, did they mean to do this? This is weird. <laughs> there is no way anybody could construe it as like an intentional thing. <laughs> Maybe they didn't want to embarrass us. It's like I was at um, a restaurant yesterday and Gabriel noticed that our server had a tag showing out of her shirt that um, like the price tag, not just like the tag, like she still had the price tag attached to her shirt. And so... I sat there like, should I go tell her? Because usually I'm that person, right? I'm gonna, I'm your friend that's going to tell you if you've got spinach in between your teeth, if you've got, you know, toilet paper on your shoe, if your skirt's tucked into your waist, um, into your undies. But I didn't know this woman and there's just so many people there and I didn't want to embarrass her. And then finally I noticed somebody else told her because it was gone. But so maybe it's one of those situations. Maybe. Well, um, let me set the record straight then. Listeners, if that is the case and you're worried about offending us, don't. Tell me. I want to fix it. (laughs) Oh, well, that was nice that somebody did. Yes. Yes. How was your weekend? Um, It was good. Uh, Because we're truly recording this on Monday. This is actually Monday. So basically what happened in the last three days. It was good. Got some good projects around the house. You know, we're, we're in the middle of doing some renovations. So the first floor is really going well, but the second floor, gosh, that's a different story. Mm. I know a little something about renovations. That was Monday Jokes with Nia. I keep Once missing again, it. again, you totally Damn missed it. it. <laughs> it's a different story. Boom, 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 ching. There we go. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and no, we are not renovating our house. That sounds awful. Well, that I know. The whole time I was like, what is she doing on the second floor? I was like, all right, I'll ask her later. <laughs> That's hysterical. Well, we are renovating some stuff on the first floor, and um, it's been a good solid eight months of it. Eight months? That's it? Ooh. Since October. I don't, I don't know how many months that is. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> oh, gosh. It'll get done eventually. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. It's so much cheaper when you do it yourself, right? Whatevs. No. Yeah. 100% no. <laughs> 100% no. Oh, well. Someday it'll be finished and um, I will take pictures mm-hmm. and we can share it. Before and afters. Please. Okay. I have a, a non-listener shout out to include on today's episode. Um. Because uh, he specifically requested it. So Jed... But he doesn't listen? No, he doesn't listen, but he claims that if I give him a specific shout-out, he will now listen. And so this is me pandering to potential listeners to increase our downloads. (laughs) (laughs) All right, give it to me. Who is it? So this is Jed. Jed with... uh... (laughs) should know the name of his company before i give the shout out (laughs) oh shit (laughs) um jed is my trainer and so i see him every other monday he kicks my ass and then i come in to record and half the time i'm like hoarse or coughing and i was complaining about that today um because he was kicking my ass again and um he said that he would be nicer to me if i gave him a shout out so this is also me trying to get out of having to do burpees next week (laughs) 
<laughs> well, good luck with that. And I will um, attest to the fact that when we first got on, I was like, what's wrong with your voice? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, no, no, no. It's because of Jed. And he kicked my ass. Yeah. And so, so fuck you, Jed. <laughs> He's just doing his job, Nia. I know. I know. What you been up to recently? Well, I have a little bit of announcement. <gasps> no way. Yes. Dun, 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 dun. Um, I have decided that I am starting my own business. <gasps> Ooh. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, after um, doing our show on consultants, where we did that episode about being in a consultant, I thought, that sounds so great. I want to be one, too. I want to be cool like Nia. I love that it took till we got to that episode, not the years of me actually being your friend and being a consultant. But yeah, sure. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this last week, I told my current employer and the board and the staff and everybody that starting September 1st, I am going to start downshifting and reducing my hours as I build my own consulting business. So fundraising, consulting, and coaching, board training, um, and really all around fundraising campaign help and strategy. That's where my passion is. That's what I love doing. Obviously, we talk about it on our podcast all the time. Um, So Brittany Wilson Consulting is open for business. Here we'll insert some little like yays and cheers (laughs) and applause. I mean, I know it is a big deal. It's scary and awesome at the same time. And we, I, I speak for all of the nonprofit Reframe community. We're so excited for you. Well, thank you. I absolutely could not do it without you, your guidance, your support, your, um, I don't know, just coaching me and helping me and being such a great friend and such a, an amazing role model with your own business. So it's, I'm super nervous. Um, it's very scary, but this actually isn't something new. I've been talking about this for years. I bought my website URL two years ago, <laughs> so it's been in the making. <laughs> and eventually you just have to leap, right? So Gotta this is it. me leaping. And if I remember correctly, when you bought your domain name, it was as we were prepping for the podcast and you thought, we might go so big that we needed to own (laughs) our names and their domains. (laughs) I was. I was like, oh, my gosh, somebody is going to buy this up, and then I'm going to need it someday, and I'm going to have to pay them millions of dollars for it. So you can check me out at BrittanyWilson.com, and that is B-R-I-T-T-N-Y. And we will, of course, drop it in the show notes for you as well. Well, thanks, Nia. I'm excited. No problem. Okay, two more quick um, announcements, and then we'll get into the episode. Um, We are prepping for another listener episode. So um, we're hoping to record that early to mid-September, so about a month away from now. Please send us your stories, your questions, your thoughts, your memes, anything that you think would be fun for us to talk about, or if you genuinely want our feedback, feel free. so that we can include that. Uh, right now, we only have a couple, so we really would love for y'all to reach out and give us something to talk about. And just some ideas about that. You know, we did our episode on bad philanthropists. We've just released one on good philanthropists. So 
Of course, we were asking if anybody had stories or examples of either one. But I'm also curious, the fact that we're going to be doing this in September, there are a lot of fundraising events that are coming back in the month of September. So if you're one of those people that is planning an event, I'd love to hear about what you decided to do with hybrid, in-person, what are your hopes, dreams, and fears around it. Um, because it's going to be a really busy fundraising event season this fall. And once again, it's another season really up in the air. I'm hearing clients be like, whoa, what's this Delta variant? How does that impact our events? Totally. So yeah, we'd love to hear from you on how all of that planning is shaking out. Yeah, how are you managing it? Yeah. Um, and then this is kind of a prep for next week's episode. So next week, we're going to be talking about Giving USA, the annual report on all of the philanthropy data in the U.S. Um, but I want to just plug, there is a training, especially for those of you in Colorado. AFP Colorado is putting on a training August 18. Um, that's hosted by Friend of the Pod, Cindy Grubenhoff, and In the Know, LLC. Um, so I'll also include that in the show notes. I'm prepping it a little early just so those of you who are interested in doing a deeper dive on Giving USA can put that on your calendars and register. Awesome. That's all, all I right. have on announcements. You ready to go? Okay, so we can actually talk about something nonprofit. <laughs> I just always hear that listener in the back of my head. Like, I listened to your episode and I thought, are they going to talk about anything meaningful? And then you finally did. <laughs> So <laughs> just tell him we're taking the My Favorite Murder approach. We're going to spend 45 minutes on intro and then about 15 minutes on content at the end. Hang on. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about crisis fundraising. Crisis fundraising. Yeah. All right. Um, and this came both because of some of the things we were hearing from colleagues and clients in the field. Um, also recognizing that most organizations did some type of crisis fundraising last year, which is why this is kind of a prep for the Giving USA episode. So what f the fundraising looked like this episode, what it elicited in terms of philanthropy next episode. But of course, crisis fundraising goes far beyond just pandemic <laughs> fundraising. Um, you know, there's that like dire financial situation an organization could be in. It could be responding to a crisis in the community. You know, I'm thinking about like the shooting or the floods or, you know, something like that. Or a fire mm -hmm. after the fires. Mm -hmm. um, or it could be fundraising after bad PR for the organization. Mm. So a lot of different things that can require some sort of crisis fundraising. Brittany, have you ever been in a place to have to do crisis fundraising? <sighs> yes. Well, yes. Okay, sure. Absolutely. I, I don't know if any of us can say no after living through this last year. True. Right. Good point. And so um, I think a, a good part of this is how do we change our messaging, right? When the crisis isn't really over, but the sort of initial um, support for it is. Um, and I'm really excited to hear about giving USA's numbers. I have not, I've heard little murmurs of what the results were, but have not read the whole thing. And so to look at what fundraising looked like last year, if we had more donors, more donations. Um, so yes, last year, absolutely. And then I have had something that would be akin to it is um, 
I was working for a place and we were doing a capital campaign, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a full-blown, like, multi-year, super strategized campaign. We were getting the majority of the funding through low-income housing tax credits, and then we kind of had this gap that we had to um, raise money for. And if you've ever been part of a capital campaign like in any kind of construction, it's things are changing all the time. And it's you're waiting for permits and then you get the permits and now we got to build and now all of a sudden you need the money. And so I do remember this one time that's like, holy shit, we got to raise, you know, a million dollars in the next three months. And it became a crisis of like, how are we going to do this? Do we just like hail Mary to all of our donors and like cash in on all the giving? And um, it was very, it was more reactionary. Mm-hmm then proactive and felt really yucky. So <laughs> just be what which approach did you choose? Um well a lot of that panic was coming from the people that were not doing the fundraising. And so <laughs> I just kept trying to stall and slow their role and kind of be more methodical about it. And and at the end of the day that time frame of three months turned into like eight months. Um, that's not exact, but, you know, things shifted and the construction ended up taking longer. And so they didn't need the money right then. And we were able to make it happen in a doable amount of time. Great. So, But I do successful. think that that's successful. But I do think that that is um, a point here in this as we're talking of – where that pressure like lands on mm. and who is the one creating the pressure. Ah, yes, yes. Um, sometimes the crisis is manufactured, shall we say? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well stated. Yes. Well stated. <laughs> um, I too have done some crisis fundraising. Um, one was when I was the board chair for a small organization and it truly was if we don't raise X dollars – um, we're going to close. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and it was really interesting going through that. I actually, I pulled out the book I bought at the time because that's what I do when I'm stressed out. I buy books. Um, Fundraising in Times of Crisis by Kim Klein. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I went yep. through it and not a single thing is tagged or underlined or highlighted <laughs> or dog-eared. So apparently I didn't refer to it much. Um, Did you read it? I don't know. Because <laughs> usually my reference books are pretty um, obvious. Like they're tagged yeah. and highlighted. I do all those things. Um, and the fact that this one isn't makes me think that maybe I didn't. But um, I, I kind of browsed through it today to to see like what, what Kim is recommending. And of course, Kim Klein, well-known in fundraising mm-hmm. literature. <laughs> um. And I remember just at that moment being like, the the sky is falling. Yes. Everything's crashing in on us. We have no time to think of strategy. And so it was so scattershot. It mm-hmm. was, we're going to try every little thing we can. And we are such a small organization. We really didn't have a major donor program. Uh, we barely even had like five donors giving a thousand or more annually. So it's not like we had um, this this group of folks who we could go to in that crisis and say, we need a one-time additional gift. And so you're like grassroots fundraising when you need 
big dollars. Right. Which means we burned out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just so much more work and takes so much more activity to make it happen. And it just, it didn't work. We closed the yeah. organization. Mm, that's so sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other time I was thinking of that we did crisis fundraising was both, it was this wonderful confluence, um, and by wonderful, I mean awful, um, where both we had a natural disaster, we had the floods of 2013 in our community, and I was a new executive director of an organization with a longtime ED before me, and I was making major changes to the program that donors didn't like. Oh. So it created this double crisis. Um, oh, yeah. and I canceled our one annual fundraising event because of the floods. Um, but what was really interesting was we were not financially struggling. Like, mm. yeah, we probably wouldn't make budget that year, but we had the reserves to cover it. Yeah. So this was one where it really was partially manufactured. Of course, the board is like, we just hired a brand new executive director who can't meet budget. That doesn't look great. Um, yeah. But also, it's it's so interesting to be in that position of, like, balancing all of this stuff, like major programmatic change, addressing a natural disaster in our community, ensuring our organization is safe, and having donors telling me to fuck off. Mm. Um, and so it that one was one where we were able to do some crisis fundraising. Like we went out to our donors later and said, we canceled our major fundraiser because of the floods. And here's mm -hmm. what that's looked like. And will you give now, you know, via this mailed appeal instead raised more money than the luncheon ever had in its history. Wow. Good for you. Mm -hmm. Despite losing three of our biggest donors that year because of the programmatic changes we were making. Wow. You know, I that's I've heard that kind of story before. I have a lot of different thoughts that came up from that. I spoke to um well you and I did a training. I don't know if you remember this. Uh mid-year last year it was a board training, board fundraising training. And there was a board member on that training who was saying the same thing that they had uh canceled their fall huge fundraiser or maybe it was in the spring. Either way, they had to cancel their major fundraiser because of COVID. And so as a board member, she and a bunch of other board members called up all of their major donors and made individual asks over the phone and said, you know, hey, look, we've got COVID. So that's a big crisis. And then we've got the fact that we had to um, abandon our fundraiser is there a way that you can give directly? And I remember her saying the same thing, that they ended up raising more money than that event has ever raised on its own. Right. Well, And I think actually this is one of the key points I wanted to get to today too, was like being open and honest with your donors can actually be the most effective way to fundraise during a crisis. I think the caveat to that though is to not, to still have confidence. Oh, Absolutely. So I wholeheartedly agree on being transparent, being open about what's going on, but also being strategic and having a plan in place. Yeah. So it's not just um, desperate right. or, oh my gosh, I don't know what we're going to do. You have to give us money because I think that then it becomes a question of um, 
are we just, you know, is my five grand or whatever I'm thinking going to give just a Band-Aid and this is really not going to make a difference because this organization doesn't have the leadership or the organization around it to pull out of it and move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. It, like, it's one thing going to a donor and saying, we have a short-term issue, right? Like, we canceled our major event. We had a major transition at the organization. We have this one thing that's happening right now that we need stopgap funding for, but our organization is overall financially stable, or we have plans, or, you know, you are part of that plan by leveraging your gift, right? Like, that that's such an important thing that you said right there of the messaging around stability and strategy is really, really important. Um, and, and we know this, like, there's lots and lots of data, too, about, like, donors wanting to give to winning organizations. Yes. Um, winners give to winners. And so if if you paint too dire a picture or if you make it sound like you really don't know what you're going to do, like, yes, I'm going to take your money and then maybe I'll be back next week again, that's not going to be any kind of successful crisis fundraising. Exactly. Well, the other part of your story that really resonated with me is that whole switch of an ED or a CEO Mm -hmm. after someone who's been there for a really long time. And so, you know, they have their own um, relationships, obviously, with donors. And when they leave, it's just natural that you're going to have that donor attrition, right? Absolutely. People are going to leave because they were supporting that leader and it takes time as you know we keep saying it takes time to fundraise it takes time to build those relationships there's obviously things that you can do um, with that transition to help bridge those relationships a little bit quicker but at the end of the day it still takes time um, to reestablish trust in the new leadership like you when you were a new ed And so it's hard when you're just starting and you have a vision for the organization that might be a little bit different and you're making changes to win back that trust Mm -hmm. from donors. But again, if you have a plan and it's based on input from your staff and it's based on um, strategy that you've developed, then I think it makes it a lot easier for people to make that jump. Totally right. Um, and uh, I just want to add this added layer, too, for those who are thinking about like that kind of transitional fundraising. Um, the donors that you lose during that transition might not be forever lost. Um, I right. was just talking to um, the development person who I hired when I was executive director of that job. She was with me for like six or nine months before then I left. And now she's the development director of the organization, freaking killing it, raising millions. I mean, she's just she, she took this little seed and made it into a tree. I'm so proud of her. But anyway, um, when I transitioned out, you know, we're going through the donor list of like, you know, make sure you meet with these folks. Let's get the new ED in with these ones. We're going to do crossover meetings. And then there was this whole list of people who it was like, they just really hated me. You should go back to them now. Like once I'm out of the organization, bring them back into the fold. And they've done that. They've successfully, wow. like, re re They're like, knee is gone. You can come back. <laughs> yeah. It's safe now. Come out of hiding. <laughs> oh, it's sad that that's how it is sometimes. But it's true. It's true. I mean, I, I don't take it personally because I know it was just like I was associated with all the changes that they really disliked. 
Right. And I also hold fast that those changes were the right thing for the organization. So now that a new ED can come in and say, like, here's what we're doing, here's how we're growing, he doesn't have to take responsibility for that change and can just get them back into why they care about the mission. Yeah, absolutely. What about crisis fundraising when there's bad publicity or PR? I have – I'm trying to think back. I don't think I've done that. Have you? I don't think so either. But it's so funny because I had the same reaction of, like, Am I blocking it? Am I in denial? (laughs) I don't think so. I mean, I definitely was fundraising. I mean, kind of. I guess kind of. That same project that I spoke of before, the capital campaign, um, that project was very controversial. And so there were um, some opposing forces that came out against it. And they wrote it like op-eds in the newspaper and um, came to city council meetings and all that kind of stuff. But if anything, I feel like our fundraising was bolstered by that. Yeah. Because the people who supported us um, saw this kind of opposition and wanted to, so they wanted to help us out and help us have a bigger voice. And so they kind of doubled down on their support. That's such a good point. Like when the the negative PR is actually about something that's kind of a core tenant of the organizations, a value of the organizations, that can actually drive contributions. Yeah, it would have been totally different if it was some sort of scandal, yeah. right? Or I imagine, imagine with like embezzling, fraud, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be really hard to <laughs> to spin that. <laughs> For a fundraising win. Yeah. Uh, well, part of what made me think about this was uh, we talked a little bit about university fundraising recently, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about like those poor development staff at UNC. Yes. <laughs> or sorry, advancement staff. That's what we call it in universities. Yep. Um, and then did you see the article this week about the CU Foundation? No. <laughs> so one of their multi-million dollar donors, like has departments named after him kind of donors, uh, came out very publicly Um, and apparently attempted to sue the foundation for bad investment management of his funds. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and essentially he was like, they have a bad um, investment manager who's been putting my money in risky investments when they should have just followed my advice and done index funds. And so he attempted to sue them. The first court rejected it. He's now appealing it. Um, And I, again, I just like, I feel for the CU advancement team. (laughs) Right. Would they have this longtime donor coming out and questioning their management of funds? And he he says, um, the university has lost over a billion dollars in earnings because of the useless money managers. Well, gosh. I mean, I know I don't know anything about this situation, but I do enough. I do know enough to warrant hearing both sides of the story. Oh, yeah. Like, like I, I think it's totally plausible that they, like, poorly manage the investments. And at the same time, if I have one donor telling me how to manage my investment pool, I'm going to say fuck off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I'm bringing this up not to say that, like, 
CU did CU Foundation did anything bad, but more than anything, like I just feel for the advancement staff who are now having to become experts in investment. <laughs> So that they can message effectively to the rest of their donors and try to retain them. This was in the Denver Post. Like it's it's getting pretty decent coverage for what should be just kind of like an internal kerfuffle. So it's funny you said maybe we've blocked it out. Um, I do have this story is the very so very first quote unquote real job I got right professional Mm job. Working for a nonprofit, but it was a um, nonprofit with a for-profit subsidiary. Okay. And so it wasn't like your cut and dry nonprofit. And I worked in their um, kind of program department that was uh, really more for the for-profit side. So it's not, I guess my point is that I want to make the distinction. This wasn't like me just working for your straight up 501c3. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit more nuanced than that. And I wasn't necessarily asking for donations, but I was being a salesperson and asking for people to sell the products of this company and teach the classes of this company. Anyways, here I am, uh, Bright-eyed, fresh-faced, 22 years old, you know, so excited to start my adulting career. (laughs) And the founder and CEO of the organization got caught up in this huge scandal. And he was accused of nepotism. Mm. Um, He was accused of, like, some retiring with this golden parachute. Anyways... A 13-page spread (laughs) in our local independent newspaper about it. Wow. You must have been in a place with some real slow news. (laughs) Our offices were egged. (gasps) No. Yes. It was super scandalous. And we were in a a very niche industry, so it was scandalous, not just locally, but like throughout this industry, Mm -hmm. right? And I was put in a position at 22 years old as being kind of a front person of the organization, you know, to the front facing to the public of having to answer questions. And I remember going to my boss and being like, no. Mm-hmm. I am not going to sit here and defend what may or may not have happened until I hear it straight from the source. Yeah. Like you need to have a staff meeting and you need to say exactly what's going on because I'm not going to be, I'm not going to put my own integrity at stake mm-hmm. just because I've have my first job with a salary. Yeah. Um. And then they ended up getting a new CEO who was amazing and I'm still friends with to this day, 20 odd years later. And I had, I was there for five years and it was so great. But yeah, talk about trial by fire, like first job and having to deal with a scandal and people being upset and Mm -hmm. telling me off on the phone. And Ooh, yuck. Yeah. That is awful. I I totally forgot about it. Wow. Yeah. There is something interesting. Like so often the development staff are the ones who are like the um, the media contacts. And yeah. so you end up in the midst of all of that mess. Um, I was on a board once where there was the potential 
for some pretty significant PR coverage um, and or sorry, media coverage. And the poor development director, like just every time we met was like, I need the talking points again. I need the messaging. You could tell just like the anxiety level around Mm. what's going to happen when a reporter calls me was so high. Poor thing. Luckily, it, it actually ended up just kind of fizzling out and the coverage was not significant whatsoever. So she got out of that one. But yeah, it's it's so stressful. And then, then at the same time, you're thinking, how do I manage donors should they start calling right. and dealing with this stuff? And I think, again, he, here's where like being open and honest is really the best thing. And there are times when we can't be fully honest. Um, I was talking to a client recently and they're like, well, I can't tell them why our executive director was fired. I was like, no, 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 no. Right. <laughs> when I say open and honest, I'm not talking about that level. Like, there are state laws regulating that shit. But to say, like, yeah, we we did have a really unfortunate transition. We weren't planning for it. And here's the impacts. Um, and here's the amazing work that we're continuing to do, right? Like, always refocusing on that mission and why it's important is the the like the most important messaging you can get out there. That doesn't mean ignoring what you're hearing or the questions you're being asked because that can of course just like stir up more rumors and we know in nonprofits that rumor mill is strong yes especially in a community like boulder county where like everybody knows everybody's business um but this is when we like take those rosy colored glasses off as Brittany says there you go right like for so long we, we are always saying nope everything's great here's Here's how our organization is tackling all of the amazing things. And it's like we can actually kind of drop some of the guard with our donors and supporters and just say, yeah, we, we're emerging from a pandemic. It's really hard. Here's where we could use some support. And that support is going to lead to this great stuff. Yeah. And again, I think what, what you just said, and that support is going to lead to this great stuff. So still being able to explain how their contribution and support, what that impact is going to be. Mm-hmm. And um, because I think what also where you go back to the desperate thing is like, we'll just take whatever we can get. Right. <laughs> it's like not having a clear defined ask um, can also be really unsettling, I think, for donors oh, totally. of like, well, I don't know what you're exactly asking me for. You know, are you asking me to double my gift? Are you asking me for six figures when I've never given anything mm-hmm. close to that? You know, so so being really clear about what your ask is. Or even like dissonant. So I can imagine sitting down with a major donor and saying like, here's the issues. Here's our budget shortfall. And then you making the ask for the same gift they've given in the past. As a donor, I'd be like, don't you need more? Like, right. <laughs> I, I believe in your work. Why aren't you asking me to help right now? Yes. Like that, this is where like, I think too many fundraisers like make the decisions for our donors. For most of our donors, they genuinely care. That's why they're giving. So give them a chance to help out. Yes. Absolutely. Bring them into the fold and make them feel like they're part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And that solution might not always be a bigger gift. It could also be like, hey, can we leverage your gift? We need a match for this upcoming thing. Hey, we actually need to expand our networks. Are are you willing to host a house party? Like, let's actually work with our donors, continue that partnership we always say that we're in with them, but actually have them help be part of the solution. 
Absolutely. I would love to hear from people. I'm not closing up the episode, but I'm just putting it out there that, you know, we asked for um, more people to write in for September for the show that we want to do from listeners. And I really, this really piques my interest. Would love to hear from people that have been part of crisis fundraising and how that worked out for you. Mm-hmm. The One other story I just wanted to throw in for today before uh, we do wrap up. Um, you know, we talked a lot last year about what kind of appeals were coming out around the pandemic and what folks were saying. Um, and I think some of the least successful ones were like business as usual, mm-hmm. you know, where they just have the same old ask and don't address the fact that they've completely halted operations, but yet still need money to pay people or their operations have tripled because they're meeting really critical needs in our communities. Like when we don't share those pieces with our community of supporters, there's no real drive for them to step up in additional ways. Yeah. And and so that's where we saw some organizations who were saying, we need your help right now. We need to get triple the number of meals out this week. We need to double our bed capacity at our shelter. We need to open up vaccine clinics. And they were going out and asking for contributions, and they saw amazing response to that. Yeah. The ones who are just like, hey, remember us? Why don't you give again? Because you did last year. It's like, no, not when we're all experiencing a crisis collectively. Right, exactly. Well, and I think that's what's going to be really fascinating about COVID is that, you know, this isn't over and the fallout from it is going to be longer term. And so how you message that of, okay, yeah, we had our immediate, we had to close down or we had to shift our programming or whatever. And now we're trying to shift back. But we also got all of this aid funding maybe from, you know, the national level or the state level, but now that's not happening anymore. So now we got to fill that gap. And yes, so key. I'm, I love that right there. Yes. And so how, how do you uh, phrase it and communicate it in a way that, um, you're still doing all your great work. You're still managing to adapt, but there's a continuing need that doesn't just end with, you know, the world getting vaccinated, or fifty percent of the U.S. population exactly vaccinated. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the the real takeaway here is like kind of upping the transparency, mm-hmm. asking for what you need, which we talk about all the freaking time. Um, and showing that you've got a plan. Right. Taking a moment, taking a breath to kind of step back and get organized before you go out to do your crisis fundraising. So it doesn't come off as being haphazard or, um, messy or unprofessional. Yeah. Yep. So as Brittany said, if you have stories, if you've experienced this, if, uh, you've thought about crisis fundraising. Give us, a, give us a ring. Don't actually email us. I'm a millennial. I won't answer my phone anyway. Nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. <laughs> Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Nonprofit Reframe. And don't forget to support your local nonprofits by giving and giving generously. Thanks, folks. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com and Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.